Welcome to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Roundtree. Have you ever had someone lie about you or falsely accuse you, seeking to get you into trouble, see you punished, fired, maybe excluded from a group, even though you were innocent? In today's cancel culture, it is becoming more common anyone can be a victim of the mob. In the second half of the trial of Jesus, the Jewish leaders are seeking to cancel Jesus. However, they need Rome's political power to accomplish their purpose. In this episode, I'm going to go through the second part of the story of Jesus' trial with the Roman authorities and give you some principles to overcome religious abuse and bondage. Before we pick up the story, I just want to mention briefly that the first part of Jesus' trial with the Jewish authorities was illegal. If you remember back in John chapter 11, they had determined that Jesus should die. They were not interested in a fair trial. They sought, they sought out those who would falsely accuse Jesus, and they didn't even give him any defense at all. Jesus didn't have an advocate. So the second part of the trial of Jesus starts early in the morning hours, probably around 5 or 6 a.m., Jesus' trial with the Jew, Jewish authorities ends and transitions over. They take, take him over to the Roman headquarters, which is in Jerusalem. This is the home in the palace of Pontius Pilate. Jesus' accusers, the Jewish authorities, they wouldn't go inside because it was the Passover. And they believed it would defile them. And they wouldn't be able to celebrate the Passover feast which was a major Jewish festival and holiday, which brings up a question. Does going into certain buildings make us holy or clean in a spiritual, you know, spiritually speaking? Earlier, the Jewish leaders questioned Jesus when they saw his disciples eating food and they didn't follow the traditions of ceremonial hand-cleaning rituals before they ate. Jesus asked them a question, what makes a man clean? Is it the food that goes into the body or what comes out of a man's heart? What comes out of the heart is what defiles a man. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, murder, slander, and so on. Jesus rebukes them and calls them a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite is an actor, kind of like pretending. It isn't referring to someone who is sincerely trying to follow Jesus but makes mistakes or doesn't practice what they preach in perfection because that does not exist. Jesus goes on and rebukes them and says, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Also, in John chapter 4, as Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, they're talking about the right place to worship. The Jews worship here, the Samaritans worship over there, referring to a conflict that was between the Jews and the Samaritans on where the right place to worship was. Jesus says to her, the time is coming and now it's here that those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. So to answer the question, 
does going into a building make you unclean or unholy? The answer generally is no. Worship starts in the heart. This doesn't mean, though, that, you know, you could just go into a strip club and see naked women or into a bar and get hammered and, you know, say, I'm holy or clean or I'm worshiping God. Those those things would defile you. But if a group of women went into a strip club to rescue a girl or a group of guys went into a bar to rescue a fallen brother, that would be okay. So the Jewish leaders wouldn't go inside. Pilate, the governor, instead went outside to them and asked them, What is your charge against this man? The Jewish leaders responded, We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he wasn't a criminal. Pilate responded, Then take him away and judge him by your own law. They replied back, Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. They aggressively continued their case and accusations against Jesus by saying, This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming that he is the the Messiah and a king. Now, of course, this is a bald-faced lie. Earlier, they had questioned Jesus about this very subject. He'd asked them to show them a Roman coin and said, Whose face is on the coin? They answered, Caesar. Jesus responded, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. Pilate then asked Jesus directly, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded, You have said it. Notice Jesus didn't say, Yes, I am a king or I am the king of the Jews. Pilate then turns back and tells the leading priest in the crowd, I have found nothing wrong with this man. The Jewish leaders became insistent and said, But he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Pilate knew that this was a lie. It was important to the Romans to maintain law and order, and they would put down and arrest those who started riots and insurrections. Later on in the story, we're going to meet a guy who did exactly that. However, Pilate heard that Jesus was from the Galilee area, so he sends him over to Herod Antipas. Pilate wasn't really that interested in Jesus or the Jewish leader's case. Now, Herod Antipas, he governed and ruled the area of Galilee, but it just so happened he was in Jerusalem at that time. He was very interested and delighted in the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard many things about him and was hoping he would demonstrate a miracle for him. Herod questioned and questioned Jesus, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the religious teachers of the law aggressively made accusations about Jesus. Then Herod and his soldiers began to mock and ridicule him. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Once Jesus arrived back at Pilate's home again, he calls the leading priests and the religious leaders together along with the people. He tells them his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. But I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. 
This man, Jesus, has done nothing worthy of the death penalty. I will have him flogged, and then I will release him, Pilate said. I guess Pilate was thinking, if I, maybe I punish him a little bit, this would satisfy the Jewish leaders' hunger to murder Jesus. That didn't happen. They continued their crusade against Jesus. Pilate goes back into his palace, and he wants a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus to further investigate this case and find out more about Jesus. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Pilate responds, Am I a Jew? Your own people and the leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world, meaning it's not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being arrested and being handed over, you know, by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom isn't of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, so you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Pilate responded, what is the truth? Which is the question that people ask in today's culture. What, is it, what does truth mean? What does Jesus mean? by the truth. Many people today don't think there is an absolute truth, or they refer to scientific truth. You know, the sky is blue, the grass is green, but we all know that's true. A child is smart enough to figure that out. If you go to the beach, are you really interested in all the scientific, technical reasons why it's possible the beach exists? Or are you going to enjoy the beauty, to relax, and to have the oohs and ahs. So Jesus isn't talking about scientific or material truth. Knowing the sky is blue and the grass is green doesn't transform your heart. He's talking about his spiritual kingdom. Spiritual doesn't mean less powerful. Today, more people are identifying as what they call knowns, meaning they don't have a religious identity at all. They say they are spiritual. This is common. This can mean a hundred different things. The truth that Jesus is referring to is about the glory that he and the Father share. Jesus said he and the Father are one. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. It was through Jesus and his words that the world was created. You were created by God and created for him. It is this truth about who the Father and Jesus are that touches the depths of the human heart and sets men free. So after Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? He goes back out to the people and tells them, he's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this man, the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, we want Barabbas. Remember earlier they accused Jesus of causing riots. Well, Barabbas was a revolutionary, and he actually did cause a riot and sought to start an insurrection and in the process murdered someone. What is interesting, though, in some translations, they call him Jesus Barabbas. It's like there's two Jesuses to pick from. In our culture, we have many Jesuses. This is, there's Buddy Jesus, Jesus who will drink a beer with you, as one country music song says. Unfortunately, people who profess to like Jesus or even to be his followers sometimes don't understand him. Some of this is our leader's fault who haven't, you know, 
portray Jesus correctly as the scriptures say, or they are all about attracting people no matter the cost of the truth. Others just haven't took the time to look closer into who Jesus really is, and they use him for their own means. If Jesus is God, and he is, that means he is the only man who was ever born, who chose his parents, and where and what time in history he would live. He didn't choose the 21st century, and he didn't choose the USA. I think this is saying something. Maybe we're not as cool as we think we are. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus loves Americans, but he loves, it. He loves Americans just like he does Africans and so on. But just because America and Britain are historically Protestant nations, it doesn't mean that we're God's favorite nation on earth. Sometimes people grow up in Christian homes, even good Christian homes. But every person has to grow in their own relationship with God. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end. But the Jewish leaders were trying to kill Jesus, the anointed one, the one that the prophet Moses spoke about. The irony is that the Jewish leaders had pledged their allegiance to Moses, but they had completely missed what Moses taught. Instead, they chose Jesus Barabbas, the murderer. Why? Well, in Jesus's words, there were of their father, the devil, who was a murderer. While this is a subtle picture in the scriptures and not every translation mentions Barabbas having the same name, Jesus, there is a message and a question all must answer. Which Jesus are you going to pick and follow? Will you choose the real Jesus or the Jesus that fits your fancy? The real Jesus is the only one who has the power to set you free and give you eternal life. After saying they wanted Barabbas... Pilate then had Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip. This whip was brutal. It was especially designed to tear someone's flesh and expose their nerves. The Roman soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a robe on him. They mocked Jesus, pretending to worship him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they would slap him in the face. Let's think about the contrast here for a moment. Jesus is the king of kings, and on his head are many crowns. He's the only man worthy to have so many crowns. He lays these crowns down and takes on the crown of thorns. Why? So we could wear a crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. What is that? It says in Psalms 139, How precious are your thoughts, O Lord. If I could count them, they would be more than all the sands of all the sea. Well, that means that God's thoughts toward you are good, and they're so numerous, you can't even count them. Next, they put on a purple robe, and they mock him. Jesus is robed in majesty and glory. Its brightness and glory make men fall down when they encounter him. But here, Jesus endures a robe of mockery. Why? So he could remove our filthy garments from us and give us royal garments of righteousness. As Paul said in Romans, he gives us the free gift of righteousness. This is the very righteousness of Jesus. And now we relate to the Father based on the free gift of righteousness and not on our righteousness or performance. After Jesus was flogged, Pilate went out again to them and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. 
And Pilate said, look, here's the man. When they saw Jesus, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate responded, take him yourself and crucify him. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied back, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into his palace and questioned him again. Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has committed the greater sin. This means the, one, the ones who handed him over were the Jewish leaders. They are the ones guilty of the greater sin. That's what that means. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Well, isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, the Jewish leaders who probably prayed every day to Yahweh, Blessed are you, Lord, King of the universe, a traditional Jewish prayer and phrase. Now they're concerned about King Caesar? What? I mean, the irony is completely twisted. In the story of the Exodus, Pharaoh would not let God's people go, called the son of Yahweh, meaning Israel. But now here Pilate is defending Jesus and the Jewish leaders are persistent in their desire to kill the son of Yahweh. The irony and the deception makes you want to cringe inside. It's scary that someone could pray to their king and God daily. Then he shows up to answer your prayer and in return, you hate him and want to kill him. This should scare us. This should cause us to examine our hearts and faith. Do we really belong to the king? Do we really have love? The answer for the Jewish leaders in this story is emphatically no. They didn't have love and they didn't belong to Yahweh, the king of the universe. They chose Caesar. What an insult to God. This is similar to when God delivered his people from the power of Egypt and then they made a golden calf and they worshipped it, saying that the calf delivered them from slavery. I mean, God forbid we slap our creator in the face, but that's what they did. After they said, you know, anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Pilate brought Jesus out to them again, and then he sits down on the judgment seat. This would be the place Pilate would sit to judge cases. It would be around noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. So here is Pilate defending and recognizing Jesus as the king of the Jews. They shout back, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate responds, what, crucify your king? They shout back again, we have no king but Caesar. Wow, what about the king of the universe, the one you proclaim to serve your whole life? Pilate, who was not Jewish nor a follower of Jesus, could see that the Jewish leaders were envious of Jesus. I find this astonishing and cringing that the Jewish leaders were so blind by their own envy. Now, Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sends him a message. She had a terrible nightmare that night. 
she told her husband, I I suffered a terrible dream about this man. Leave that innocent man alone. Again, the irony and the contrast is astonishing because Pilate and his wife are seeing more clearly than the Jewish leaders. After this, though, a mighty roar rose up from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him, and release to us Barabbas. The Jewish leaders and the crowd were in unity and in complete rebellion towards God. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was about to develop, which is interesting. They falsely accused Jesus for causing riots with his teaching, but here now they are starting a riot. Pilate sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. The people yelled back, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. Pilate released Barabbas to them and handed over Jesus to be crucified. Now I'm going to mention three principles to overcoming religious abuse and bondage. These principles were mentioned as I went through the story, but I'm going to expound on them a little bit more. The first principle is do not trust your religious heritage or your religious performance. Now, this doesn't mean if you have a religious heritage, it's it's bad. I would say it's actually a good thing. But this is what Paul says. He says in Romans chapter 2, Paul says a true Jew is not someone who is born to Jewish parents or has been circumcised, but the one whose heart is right with God and the one who's had a change of heart and seeks praise from God and not people. Paul also says a Gentile who obeys the law because it is written on their heart will condemn the Jew who knows the law and doesn't obey. In other words, you can't trust that you have a right relationship with God just because you grow up in a Christian home. Everyone is on the same playing field. There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. Growing up in a Christian home is good. It just means you have access to the truth. But if you don't respond to the truth with humility and repentance, then you're no different than an unbeliever other than you might know a few Bible verses. Paul says in Romans 5, Because of Adam, we are all under the power of sin and death and condemnation. But because of Jesus, called also the second Adam, we are now free from the power of sin, death, and condemnation. This was not accomplished by our own works or doing, but through what Christ accomplished through the work of the cross. And now we can freely receive the free gift of forgiveness and righteousness and live in triumph over the power of sin and death, and there's no condemnation. However, just because it's a free gift doesn't mean we don't do anything. No, it just means we can't earn it by our performance. But it still requires us to respond, once again, in humility and repentance and to seek to actively follow Jesus with and from our heart. In the second part of Jesus' trial, we see that Pontius Pilate is more righteous than the Jewish leaders. He sought truth and justice and declared Jesus not guilty. Now, this doesn't mean Pilate was like a really good dude. I'm sure he was a bad dude in his own right. But he ended up being a coward and he gave in to the mob that sought to kill Jesus. But the gospel authors are just pointing out what Paul explains later on in Romans. Even though the Jewish leaders were the natural seed of Israel, they were not the seed of promise. That, And this was demonstrated by their lack of fruit and their hunger to kill Jesus because of envy. They knew the law, but they didn't obey the law. The second principle, a change of heart is needed. In the Old Testament, the prophets 
foretold of a day of a new covenant that would be different from the old. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He would remove the hard, stubborn heart that cannot obey God and give us a new heart where His commands would be written on it. This new heart would be more tender to the Lord, and as Paul said in Romans, He has poured His love into our hearts. Paul says we are not bound by the law anymore. What does this mean? It means we're not transformed by knowing the law in and of itself. It doesn't mean the law is bad. Actually, it's the opposite. The law is good and shows us our need for Christ. But now we relate to the Father based on the free gift of righteousness and the new law of love. We love Him because He first loved us. We seek to obey Him because He laid down His life for us. The goal is to grow and to be built up and to have deep roots in the love of God. A lover will always outwork a worker. He isn't looking for hired hands. God doesn't look on the outside but the heart, and He's looking for hearts that love Him and love others. This is how we fulfill the law. The third principle and my closing remarks, knowing the truth. Jesus said that he was the truth. And if you know his truth, you would be free indeed. The truth he spoke about was a spiritual kingdom that supersedes the kingdoms of this world and men. It is the truth that our father created you and he loves you and demonstrated his love towards you while you were yet a sinner. Jesus said, all who love truth recognize what I say. And Paul went on to say, love delights and rejoices in the truth. Seeking to love and treasure Jesus is the pathway of knowing real truth that gives you incredible freedom. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I'm not done with this series yet. Next, I'm going to talk about the cross. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.